Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast coming up on this episode. It's a special from DC Rainmaker's Open House event here in Amsterdam. We'll be discussing all the latest Zwifty news, of course, and getting a flavour of this mini tech fest here in Ray's Cave. Well, good day, mate. Good day in Amsterdam. How the hell? I was going to say good day or hello in Dutch, but I've got no idea. So I'll just stick with Aussie. Good day, Simon. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Nobody speaks Dutch. Even the Dutch, even the Dutch don't speak Dutch. Actually. I've noticed that. We were in the supermarket today, and somebody stood behind us and noticed we had many, many bags of ice and spoke in Dutch, and we looked a bit confused. And he goes, "Aha, ice!" and then starts speaking English straight away. It's their dual protocol here. They're Bluetooth, Ant Plus, and English. It's great. It's tri protocol. Yeah. My taxi driver last night tried to convince me that that nobody in the Netherlands, as we now should call it, they don't like calling it a Holland anymore. They call it Netherlands. Nobody in the Netherlands should actually speak Dutch. He, he maintained, he was quite a, an erudite taxi driver, he maintained that English should be the world language. It's absolutely amazing how widely spoken it is here. I think it's taught in schools. Right, yeah, it's fantastic. I can get around here, no problems at all. I found the same in Taiwan earlier this year, or mid this year. Yeah, it's the same thing. Um, it's, it's very handy for me, who only knows one language, and that's English. <laughs> and Simon, you're the same, are you? You speak other languages? Well, I've got a little bit of there we go. But anyway, enough of languages. <laughs> we're, we're, at, uh, we're in the pain cave. We're in the legendary DCR pain cave. Mm, well, we should explain great. to listeners what it is and where we are and what we're seeing. So paint us a picture, Shane. Well, this is the DCR open house. So it's all about DC Rainmaker and his followers, but also we, we sort of tag along because we do a lot of collab work, myself and uh, Desfit. So we're here in Amsterdam at Ray's studio. Well, it's a studio, it's a pain cave. It's a big warehouse, actually, where Ray has all his trainers, equipment, um, bikes, every drones. You've seen all the drones around, everything. And it's a really nice space to get a lot of people put together and just talk bikes and tech and catch up. And uh, so every six months, I think it has been now for the last few years, we've come over here. I, I jump on a plane and come over just for this night. And uh, look, it's not all easy work though. I was up cleaning dishes only half an hour ago. People think it's, it's uh, glamorous being a YouTuber or whatever they call me these days or an influencer. It's not. Well, I'm sweeping floors, I'm doing dishes, I'm uh, also, you know, re firmwaring the trainer over there that you see that wouldn't pair with the kicker climb because it didn't have the right firmware. So we're working our butts off. <laughs> but it's, it's great. Now it's all fun and games. I mean, th- this basically is an industrial unit, isn't it? Uh, but he's got so much space here. I mean, I've not, I've not begun to even think about counting how many trainers here, but at least double figures. Oh, for sure. I'd say probably 40 or 50 trainers. Um, and funnily enough, if I could walk past them, I know exactly what model they all are, because they're all very... <laughs> Ray and I do a lot of crossover work. And uh, there's a few new ones here as well. The smart bikes are upstairs. All three smart bikes that are on the market at the moment. So there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of space, which is what you need. And I'm I'm very quickly running out of at home. But it's a kind of social social occasion for for, for tech geeks, really. That's what it's all about, for sure. Now, everyone here either has a smartwatch on, has a smart trainer at home, is a Zwifter, is on... uh, We've got Full Gaz up there, we've got Ruby people. Uh, We even have people from Relive were here today on the run. Oh, really? So it's an industry thing as well. We have representatives here from Tax... We have Peter from, from Elite. 
So it's a bit of an industry get-together. Not quite Eurobike. It's a very intimate occasion here with only about what, 200 people or so. But it's a really good mix of people and uh, and, and babies as well. Just see me talking over there. With the, I'm, I'm now a baby you were You were a baby oh. magna. I mean, oh. as soon as there was a baby within 20 metres, you honed in, man, like radar. Well, listeners know that I get a bit emotional about babies now. I absolutely adore them. Uh, <laughs> and, and little P3, um, the first time I landed here, first time I've seen Ray's new baby, P3, and uh, I said, just give her to me. I want a hug because I miss Max already. So no. I, I have to tell you, listeners, actually, uh, me and Shane did the hey, how you doing kind of thing. Within, like, definitely under 60 seconds, <laughs> he'd, he'd shown me on Nest a live feed of young Maxwell from Australia. You were keeping a close eye on him, dude. I was telling you what time it was back home. It's 5.15 a.m. and we're only just kicking off the night here. So it's my excuse for slurring my words when I do the podcast later on. <laughs> it's very, my time zones are all mixed, but I do keep an eye on young Max back home and he's sleeping well. Excellent news. Well, that was a kind of meet and greet with Shane and say hello for the first time. Um, we're going to do a little bit of stuff here. I'm probably I'm going to catch up with Peter from Elite and then... We'll be doing our usual Zwifty, chatty thing. I think we'll probably do that tomorrow. It's not quite the right atmosphere here. And anyway, you've got some kind of rival podcast that you'll be doing later on this oh, evening? I, I can't mention that. No, I can't mention that I host the Fit File with DC Rainmaker <laughs> and myself, talking all things po- uh, bikes and tech and sports tech for people to become a more informed athlete if they listen. So Okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough, that's <laughs> enough. You know, I thought I was going to let, let you get away with a little. But, I got you know. a bit of an added there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch up later, dude. Excellent, Simon. Okay. Okay, well, we'll plunge back into the open house later in the podcast, but I think it's about time we caught up with some Zwiftiness. Uh, you find us now the day after the open house. It was just too crazy yesterday to find any time with our special guest co host, the legend that is Ray Maker. Hi, Ray. Hello, good to see you, and thanks for uh, making out last night. Uh, a great event, I think. You look like you're enjoying yourself, but m- masterminding that looked to me as though it was a bit of work. A little bit of work. I think uh, we were joking this morning. It's a bit of a, like, bit of a hangover this morning, and we didn't drink anything. <laughs> it's just it's a, a lot of a lot of chatting, a lot of work leading up to it. But it's always fun to be able to put on a big event like that for everyone that uh, helps you know read the site, support the site. So it's much appreciated. Yeah. Um, you've been in Amsterdam a little while now after Paris. How are you settling down? Loving the place. It's such a fantastic city. It's a great city. We absolutely love it. I think just this, the whole bike culture here is just amazing. I mean, we just biked here. Our kids were on the bike. Everything is all about the bike. And uh, it's just it's such a nice kind of relaxing place to, to live in, to be in, and to, to raise a family in that it's something that uh, we're looking forward to be here a long time. It's a very beautiful place as well. It's beautiful. I would say, you know, maybe could do a little bit of work on the whole rain-wind thing, but uh, <laughs> otherwise it's it's a nice place. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into some Zwift. And, of course, uh, Shane is back with us. Um, okay, first day of December, boys. Still a few weeks to go until we hit the week where we generally see what we call peak Zwift. And the numbers are looking good. We've already sailed past 10,000 concurrent users. Uh, I saw 11,000 breach the other day. So, Ray, as guest co-host, you get to play our special... uh, You get to join our guessing game club. Um, I am on record as predicting peak swift of 18,000 concurrent users. The Australian Mr Cautious in the corner here... Uh, was a little less gung-ho. Shane, you were 16,666 or something bizarre, if I recall. Uh, care to revise? 
No, no, I'm sticking with that. It's looking good. We saw eleven thousand the other day. 11, yeah, I've, I've been keeping an eye on the on the uh, the companion app. It's getting up there, but I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So you get to join the club. Um, where would you like to uh, to place your bet? See, I think if I were to follow prices right rules uh, in bidding a, a dollar or a one year one user, I'd probably fail. I think I'm gonna think actually. I think Shane's a bit low on this one, so I would guess. I'm going to guess 21. Uh, I'm going to go high. I have, a, I have a funny feeling that we're going to see a, a little more. Because what was last year? Like 15 or so? Something like that? 50, yeah, I think it uh, was it 15. Yeah, it was 15 last year. Yeah, it was about 15 so last I'm year. I'm feeling 21-ish or so is, is a solid bet. Interesting. Uh, that, let's hope it's not on New York at that day because it's going to be very, very... <laughs> it's one conga line for the whole course. I hope the course is spread out That's on the uh, just in general, uh, Ray, it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this because, of course, you, uh, you, your blog, your site, your, your empire encompasses, obviously, way more than indoor training and Zwift, but it's a big part of it. Uh, and it's interesting that you, you pitch this, this concurrent user figure quite high. Is that based on the kind of interest you see around Zwift and around indoor training on the site? Definitely. We've seen a, a huge interest in, in bumping that. Um, and I think we've seen even interest in Zwift, if you look at things like Google Trends and all that kind of stuff, is is way higher this year at the same time period than last year. And so looking at some of that data and kind of where things are trending, again, relative to last year at this time, I think we're just seeing a much higher level of interest. I think I'd be surprised if they don't completely blow away those numbers from last year um, going into 2020. And when you sit down to write a, blo a blog post on the subject of Zwift, do you, do, you, do you rub your hands metaphorically together and think, oh, great, lots of traffic? I mean, is Zwift kind of clickbaity for you? It's funny. It's one of those ones that, you know, like you could sustain a site, um, as I guess Zwift Insider does, writing just post on just Zwift, Zwift stuff every single day, um, and that would do really well. Uh, for me, I, when I tend to write a Zwift piece, it's about a specific event that's occurred. So it's about uh, something like a big change in, you know, rulings with UCI events or things like that, or it's about a new course and stuff. So um, for, for my particular content, uh, you know, I, I love to be, have the time to be able to do all sorts of like hands-on, uh, you know, how-to type guides. But for me, it's more about something big piece of news that has happened that um, I think is interest to not just Zwifters, but potentially interest to people beyond Zwift. So something that someone will look at that and go, oh, that's a big deal for the indoor training industry, or that's a big deal for Zwift. Maybe I should go ahead and look at Zwift again, or whatever the case may be. And do those posts tend to do well compared to your other posts? They do, yeah. I think, I mean, uh, if I look at like the, the big topic areas that tend to do the most well on the site, it's Swift, Strava, and, and Garmin. Uh, and then, depending on the, the medium, if I look at YouTube, it's uh, drones and GoPro and things like that. So you did different different mediums kind of have different uh, draws. But yeah, if I could find a title that had Zwift, Strava, and Garmin all in one, like I'm just, I'm done for the week, call it, call it over. Clickbait <laughs> heaven. Um, Shane, we watched with great interest, of course, because we're roadies and we're fans of the Grand Tours and we watched the Grand Tours and we saw that massive, massive Zwift advertising blitz around the Grand Tours. Uh, is this the sound of those chickens gently flying home to roost? Do you think that big ad campaign has affected this, you know, has caused this big uptick we've seen? That's a good question. I think Zwift is known by most of the roadie community. You've heard of Zwift or your friends heard of Zwift. It's, again, the Kleenex of tissues, the Xerox of photocopiers. I think what that reach allowed them to get to is people who were watching the Tour de France or, you know, interested in pro cycling just that time of year, which might not be the roadie crew. 
So their reach is a little further. Uh, whether that's going to eventuate with more subscribers, I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, talking back to the Google Trends um, analysis, if you search Tour de France or even road cycling, massive peak during July. And that's it. Road cycling, that's what it's all about during July for the tour. So they nailed um, access to the audience. If it converts or not, yeah, we don't know the numbers, do we? So I guess we'll have to see based on the concurrent users and go from there. It was interesting. I interviewed the guy who kind of signed the check. Well, I think he signed the check. He was the creative head of that that whole campaign, that funnest, funnest Fast campaign. And he did actually say that, you know, one of the aims of the campaign was if you like to sow seeds. Uh, because July, <clears throat> excuse me, is not a great time for indoor cycling generally. And he said, you know, I think the question was why advertise an indoor training product in, in July? And he said it was about seed sowing. And, and I, those, I think we're seeing green shoots now, Ray, from those seeds, do you? Yeah, I think that's, like, it, as you said, it's, it's a bad time of year to try to advertise indoor training, but it is planting that seed, which is a lot of what advertising is about, right? Most people don't look at an ad and be like, i got to buy this right this second. Um, they look at an ad and go, okay, and then they forget about it, and then it happens 10 more times, and eventually that brand and that, that product is in their head, somewhere in the back of their head, so that when some other bit of information combines those two, that's when that, that moment happens. The Black Friday sales, I think, may have sparked a few people. There's a lot of sales on trainers, so then doing that association with, okay, I'm going to buy this trainer, what do I use? Oh, hang on, a few months ago I saw Zwift on television. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Or they see a video from, from Shane or someone else, or they're like, oh, wow, I just, just came across my YouTube feed randomly because of suggestion, and now it's like, oh, what, what is this? And it just kind of it rolls from there. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know, that's the time of year to advertise for indoors or for any sort of cycling is July. Yeah, I think it was a good pump priming exercise. Um, well, another another thing actually, and I think this is just happening in Europe. But but you know, one of the big things is to take the friction out of the process. And one of the things that they've done to try and try and aid that is they have this scheme now where you can buy a certified trainer whatever that is from uh, Zwift you can have it shipped free you can try it and Zwift for 30 days without laying out a penny and if you don't like it it will be collected for return again completely free now i'm pretty sure this is for for Europe only as i understand it uh, and it was an offer uh, that, that coincided with the launch of the Zwift e-commerce shop in Europe, which has been running in the USA for a while now. Um, Ray, these kinds of deals are incredibly popular. And in fact, there's a, there's a branch of, of fintech that's sprung up around it. The biggest uh, operator of that is Klarna. And the idea is that you go on your mobile phone and you see a pair of jeans or a frock or something that you like and you click buy and it arrives and you don't have to pay for it for 30 days and it's it's a pretty seductive uh, model and Klarna is doing well and Klarna is in fact the partner for Zwift for this initiative. Uh, try now, pay later seems a good deal. Do you, do you see that being effective? It's super effective. We've seen in the in the US, for example, Peloton's moved to that model uh, just in the last couple months as well to get people in. And in the case of someone like Peloton, who has an unbelievable uh, kind of customer uh, reach, not reach, um, customer stickiness factor rate. I can't remember the exact term there, but like ninety six percent. Like that's that's a brilliant model because they get someone in. There's a ninety six percent chance that after thirty days they're probably going to keep that product and keep on going. And I think it makes a lot of sense for Zwift as well because these are expensive products that people may have doubts on, and they look at that and go. Ah, I'm going to spend what is likely going to be a grand on a trainer um, or a combination of things that make up that, that entire indoor training package. And so for them to do that, 
I think it's super smart, and I think it's going to be be really successful for them. Uh, now, how they advertise that is challenging. So, for example, that they just you mentioned they just started that here in Europe. Uh, I tried the day after that was announced to do it here from Amsterdam, where they said it was based out of, and it didn't work. It just said there was nothing available here. So I think those are things for how do you get that message out, and how do you make sure that message is entirely seamless no matter where you are. Shane, there's an inertia thing here, isn't there? And I don't, I don't mean the inertia that we, we know and love from, from tech testing. The, the, the inertia is you get this big box, it's all set up, you find a place in your home where it fits, within 30 days you're into a kind of routine and a pattern. And actually, if you even only like it a bit, de-rigging it and sending it back and parting with it kind of feels like a bit of a wrench. So what you're saying is it's quite difficult to set up and get going. <laughs> so it's also quite difficult to take down. Okay, there's the hook. Uh, this would be great for smart bikes, I think. It really would because if you can get someone in actually to install it for you as well and have that unified experience where people aren't having to take a wheel off a bike and match 11 speed with 12 speed. Um, getting an L Just the other day, I'm, I'm searching for XDR hubs for my Axis gravel bike. To put. It's just so hard. Um, so to have everything provided for them as a package that's going to work is handy. Um, but I think this is going to be better for bikes, to be honest. Mm. Mm -hmm. What well, for smart bikes? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got the. I mean, we've got a big weight factor there, That's haven't we? The These things yes. are sixty, seventy kilos, and we're still probably twelve months off. Like mass availability of these and more choice as well. There's a few others that haven't been released yet, so we're still waiting to see that. So, look, I think we'll have a different conversation in probably twelve months to see how it all shakes down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's key that getting the friction out of the process is key for Zwift to continue to grow, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people um, from not the Zwift community per se, but not air quotes, but from the more serious indoor training community often look at Peloton like, ah, oh, that's that's not real, whatever the case is, right? You can kind of look down on it. But from a business standpoint, from a frictionless standpoint, Peloton is the king of that. Like the whole idea that that bike shows up in your living room and you're done. Your, your TV's integrated, everything's integrated to it. it. It just works. The just works factor is 100% there, and that's why you see that 96% or whatever it is retention rate, and that's where this industry has to get. And I think, you know, if we look at some of the news around Zwift going into that indoor hardware market, um, it's gonna make sense. I think that's what, that should be the end goal. Like, in my mind, anything less than equivalent to a Peloton bike is missing the end goal. And now that doesn't mean that you can't have a version without a screen, because obviously some people might want a screen, whatever, but I think the end goal should be a bike with a screen built into it that is rolled into your house and done. And just works. We saw last night here with a sample size of around 180 to 200 people, people were on the smart bikes. Everyone's seen a, a smart trainer before, they jump on and have a look, and there's the climb, and there's the sweet dough downstairs, and that's what everyone has access to at the moment. But they were all on the smart bikes. We had three set up side by side and not once was an empty seat seen. It yeah. was a lot of, lot of interest. And I think people are accepting of them. I was the biggest skeptic of the smart. I didn't want a smart bike. I didn't want something that looked like a spin bike at all. But the technology is actually pretty good. It's a good ride. Well, we'll get into smart bikes and we'll also get into um, Ray's scoop, actually, about Zwift's hardware ambitions later in the podcast. But for now, let's plunge into the open house uh, with so many... 
largely men, it has to be said. There were a few, few, few ladies, women, girls there last night, but it was largely men. But with such a, a collection of male uh, tech fans around, I, it was a pretty sure bet that most of them were Zwifters. So this was a great uh, place to go and talk to people about what Zwift is doing well and what Zwift could improve. My name is Goswinus Dijkstra and I'm Dutch. Well, they have to do better, I think, uh, support racing more. I enjoy it very much, so uh, I compete uh, two, three times a week. And what would you like them to do better? Well, I think incorporate uh, the Swift Power, uh, that website, what they do, more incorporate that within uh, Swift, so that the race results are uh, checked and uh, more those kind of things. Well, that's a, a very simple, concrete suggestion. What, 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 other th- what thing do you think the Swift is doing very well at the moment? Well, the social aspect, of course, is uh, great. That's why I chose for Swift. And also, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the most important thing, that it's a big community. Yeah, my name is Dave, and I'm triathlete. Uh, this year I did a half and a full triathlon, and uh, I'm Dutch. And you've had a little bit longer to think about it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I did, I did. <laughs> so uh, one thing they're doing, they're doing really well and one thing you'd like them to do better? Uh, what, what I think they do well is, is the structured workouts. Uh, I worked for a full triathlon and had the schedules uh, for the training with the blocks and I could really uh, simulate this uh, uh, comparing with outside. I could really do the, the watts I wanted to cycle and the resting parts. Yeah, what they can do better. I think a little bit more the graphics on, on, on riding. If you look at the scenery, it's sometimes a little bit, if you think, could be a little bit better if you compare it maybe with, with the gaming, uh, the graphics. But yeah, I'm there on my bike. And yeah, so the, the entertainment part on, 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 uh, on the graphics, that you have more distraction. Okay, back with Ray and Shane. Uh, more from uh, more from the open house and uh, those interesting questions last night, which produced some really interesting responses to me, actually. Um, but back with Ray and Shane. Ray, let's talk about Zwift's hardware ambitions. This was your story. This was your your scoop, um, and it generated a lot of interest. Uh, just to summarise for anybody who may have missed it. Zwift were advertising a number of posts um, for a, a new division of the company, which seems to be called Zwift Fitness, and it was pretty obvious from anybody re- reading the recruitment posts that they're g- going to be setting up a hardware business. I mean, it, it, it was inescapable. How did you get the story, Ray? Yeah, I got tipped off about the job posts uh, from someone that kind of looked at them and said, hey, have you have you seen these? And uh, the more I started looking into them, it was one of those, like, at first glance, you're like, oh, it's a, it's a hardware position. And then you start digging into line by line by line. You go, holy cow, they're they're telling you the whole story of what's going to happen next. And, you know, from the, the exact technologies they're looking at using to all this kind of stuff was just... It was in plain, you know, plain sight. And so once I kind of had this whole picture of what was going on, I then reached out to Zwift for some official comment. And that actually took a while. It took, I think, five or six days to get like an official comment, which was, I was sort of expecting a no comment initially. Um, but to their credit, they came back with a, a very formulated statement. And I think they probably had to from a, a partner standpoint in that, you know, you've, you clearly put all these job descriptions out that are saying you're about to go ahead and build build a bike, um, and so they had to have something that didn't just say no comment because that would upset all the taxes elites and you know everyone else in the world that's building in Wahoos that are building indoor bikes and building indoor trainer hardware. So you got to be very careful with that balance between those two. But uh, they came back with a comment that you know confirmed they were building hardware, but the priority for the near term is of course their existing hardware partners. 
It's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I mean, they've long we've we've long suspected they harbour these ambitions. You can see the business case for it; it makes an enormous amount of sense. But then there are these relationships with with train and manufacturers, which are obviously very important to Swift. And they probably didn't want the news to get out in this way. But then, if they probably didn't want that, then maybe not advertise the post but then if you don't advertise the posts then you're not going to get the people you need it's a tough one isn't it it is uh, i laughed a little bit though because i mean there's as i think you were this past summer there's a zwift event that occurs at eurobike um, each year and, and everyone there the entire train industry is there every single person is there every engineer top engineer from every one of those companies is there and i kind of laughed because Zwift has the phone numbers of all those people, the emails of all those people. And if, if you're going to make a job offer, like it wouldn't be hard, especially with the money Zwift has, to make job offers to most of the top engineers at these companies to say, hey, I got a deal for you. And have probably filled out your entire team of people um, behind the scenes without ever actually putting the job postings out. And uh, so I am honestly surprised they would put them out in that visible manner. Like I could have seen a couple of sort of second tier positions go out that were like, oh, hey, we need something. And you would look at it and go, that's interesting. What that's for? And you could have written off somewhere else. But to have the entire slate of positions lead, lead engineers on down to be so obvious was kind of like, a, huh, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty obvious what was going on here. Um, Shane, it's pretty significant, though, isn't it, for Zwift? I mean, as long-time Zwift watchers are maybe not surprised, but it's still a big move. I think it's a Peloton move. I think it's – everyone's looking up the, up the tree at Peloton um, and what they're doing and what's successful, and you have to not copy that. You have to replicate some of their success and what they're doing. Um, it's inevitable, I think, to control that user experience from start to finish because at the moment, as we see with the 30-day trial of trainers from another company to put it together with an ant stick and another screen and an Apple TV, and it gets too much. So to have an experience to be pulled out of the box – branded with one company, I'm just explaining the Peloton model here, um, and then the customer experience for help, that's such a relief to deal with one company. But at the moment, there's a lot of handoff happening. If my trainer's doing this in erg mode, if I'm getting dropouts in this, my Bluetooth doesn't work for Windows 10, that's a Microsoft issue, let's not upgrade my operating system, it's all too hard. So yeah, it's, I think it's inevitable. Um, yeah, the way it was released was very interesting though. As Ray said, uh, they have access to all these people. And I don't think somebody just randomly sort of kicking around job forums will be like, oh, look, yeah, and I know how to TIG weld and I know Ant Plus and Bluetooth Smart and FEC. Those people don't come along very often. Um, it was an interesting move, yeah. That said, I don't think we're going to see the Zwift Smart Bike at next year's Eurobike, do you? No, I want to. I want to see this tech moving a lot faster. 2019 has been a bit of a struggle with the traditional tech, as we know, for uh, indoor trainers. Smart bikes, we've seen them hit the ground very slowly. Um, a few surprises there, especially with the kicker bike and how fully featured that is for Gen 1. Zwift will need to come out with almost a Gen 2 bike already without having ever produced hardware. That's a very, very tough ask. Having said that, they've now got access to all the hardware that's out there to grab, to strip down, to understand how it works, and also some lawyers, I guess, to check the patents to see what they can and can't use. Um, it's very possible they could do it. It'd need a hell of a lot of acceleration, though, right now, um, and also a lot of testing. We need more on the ground, hands-on, legs-on testing of these things to be good experience. And when it comes to esports, they push trainers to no end. There's trainers out there that work really, really well in erg mode. They're great for triathletes. Some parts of the Llama lab test really 
check out how the things respond with from eSports, such as an attack or um, over and under response times and things like that, and high flywheel speed, which simulates a downhill um, negative grade simulation mode. They're hard ones to solve, and no one's really solved that yet. Fingers crossed they can. Yeah. And, and, and eSports is, 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 and Swift's ambitions in that area is definitely part of this equation. Um, Ray, let's just speculate a bit because we can't possibly know. You may know better than anybody else or have a better feeling than anybody else for this, but... This move by Zwift inevitably must have an effect on relationships with, with trader companies. I mean, you'd be pretty dumb not to think that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Zwift sent out emails to their partners uh, that a couple hours after my piece, basically referencing it and saying, you know, we still love you sort of thing to their partners. And that's, that's going to have effect. Um, but you have to kind of step back and realize that a lot of those feelings that those partners harbor towards Zwift existed before that smart bike in terms of this kind of weird, we're partners, but we also sort of fear you kind of thing. And that was before Zwift, you know, officially announced their, their hardware ambitions because there's always been concerns and most of it quite well founded about Zwift making their own hardware. So a lot of that stuff, this is just sort of the icing on the cake, the solidification of what people already, you know, presumed or knew what was happening behind the scenes. Uh, but I think it's going to be, It'll be interesting to see how that relationship happens going forward. One of the things I kind of talked about a little bit was that right now, companies, in theory anyways, send hardware to Zwift ahead of time, ahead of announcement uh, for you know, QA and validation to make sure it works with the platform. And it doesn't always happen, but that should happen anyways. And I wonder how much of that will happen now. And the same thing goes for plans. Like these companies, the Wahoos of the world, openly talked with Zwift about their upcoming plans for the next usually eight to 12 months in the indoor training space. And will they continue to do that? And I would say from like a, a Wahoo or a tax or whoever's perspective, no, there's no good reason anymore. That's here's we support Amplus FEC, we support Bluetooth Smart FTMS, deal with that sort of thing, right? Because why would they give Zwift that advantage of saying like, if let's pretend Wahoo has a kicker bike 2020 and that kicker bike 2020 has a screen on, I have no idea. I'm just you know saying, let's just say they make a, a Peloton version of the kicker bike. Why would Wahoo want to tell Zwift that now? And so I think it's going to lead to some slightly turbulent times for integration um, where we're going to see things lag on integration into Zwift because hardware vendors are more hesitant to share that information ahead of time. Although it would be nice if they could continue to play nicely. I mean, and if you look at the history of this over the last four or five years, it is undoubtedly the case that tax... Elite, Wahoo, would not be the companies they are now were it not for Zwift. Absolutely, yeah. There's no doubt that they've sold many, many trainers uh, because of because of Zwift. Um, I think, to be fair, there was a trajectory that was already happening before Zwift came along. I think largely led by Trainer Road at the time that started that whole revolution of open training um, apps on platforms. So Wahoo really kicked it off with the, the kicker way back when of having an open platform apps could tap into, Trainer Road being one of the first to really tap into that and drive that forward. Um, but then, yeah, Zwift obviously put the gas on top of that fire, and that's where we are today because of that. So, yeah, all these all these companies are, I don't want to say, like, subservient to Zwift, but in a way, they, they kind of they are. They want to be a bit grateful. They, they're absolutely grateful. It's one of those, like, love, love, not really hate, but love, fear relationships, mm -hmm. I think, in that they, they worry what happens when when Zwift, you know, starts pulling the levers. Like, what happens down the road when Zwift says, ah, oh, this feature is only available on the Zwift trainer slash Zwift bike um, because 
period, right? Not just because something, just yeah, because because we, say so. because we say so. And that's that's a valid concern. And so that's why I think you see some things like the Wahoo acquisition of the Sufferfest. And I think we're going to see more in that same realm of some of these companies going, you know, let's let's start to hedge our bets a little bit. Yeah. Shane, do you think there's a measure of Zwift flexing muscles and actually being a bit impatient here with trainer manufacturers. I mean, as you guys were saying last night in your kind of sermon from the Mount to the assembled uh, multitudes, it's been a long fall. It's It's been a painful autumn for you, particularly you two guys, because, I mean, we don't need to name names because I think every single manufacturer has been affected. But some of the new models that have come out have, shall we just say, been less than optimal. Uh, lots and lots and lots of problems with 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 trainers. Is is this Swift getting a bit impatient? Do you think? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's more about just having the monopoly and having control. Um, there's more obviously. There's more money in it. That's at the end of the day. The margins on a piece of hardware is a lot more than a little bit each month from a subscriber. Um, the issues we've had this year though could be easily solved with more planning and more process. I don't think, I think the engineers are good. I think the hardware is good. It's just getting those things aligned. Um, if Zwift can do that better than the trainer manufacturers, I'd be very surprised, but it could be done if they get the right people. Yeah. We, we can't really leave this conversation without um, that big subject, which, you know, it seems to be more and more influencing nearly everything Zwift does. And we'll, we'll get to another implication of that in a minute, but that's eSport. And there is a huge eSport element to this hardware division race, surely. Absolutely. And they, I think we see that in the job specs. Uh, we see that in some of Zwift's announcements around 2020 and UCI events and things like that. Um, how that plays out, like how much of that drives the hardware decisions is probably a legit business question in some ways. Like, And it goes back to the question of, are eSports driving revenue for Zwift? Or is it a sideshow, right? And well, at the moment, it's, it, it certainly isn't driving revenue. You know? <laughs> it's, it's definitely costing money, Renny. So, but will it drive revenue, right? Is that actually driving a trackable revenue for Zwift? And I think that's a question that no one actually has the answer to. And I'm not faulting Zwift. Like, I think that they've got to give that a, a, the old college try and see if that'll, that'll work out. Um, but at the end of the day, with that time and the features like there are things that will undoubtedly be in that bike or that hardware that are specifically there for esports and probably there for like certification uci type level uh, requirements that wouldn't likely exist if it weren't for that and does the added cost of that does all those things justify uh, that that end goal like, and that's a really tough question it is, and it's a big question i mean the problem is with esports as we all know there's just too many ways to cheat Okay, and there's lots of hardware-enabled ways to cheat, and I guess much of the thinking behind this hardware division and the esports bit of it is we we've got to make a trainer here that stands up to scrutiny, it's a, and, and 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 enables integrity. It's going to be difficult, and people say, well, if they make a trainer with a weight scale in it, maybe we could have legit racing. But at the end of the day, someone can put their hand on the table at home weighing themselves. I think the only way to make this legit is in-person events with controlled hardware. Then you have sponsorship arrangement problems. Um, for example, Peter Sagan sponsored by, is it the ta they're on tax trainers. Is he going to be able to get on a X-branded bike or trainer for this? It's a difficult one. I don't think you'll ever get rid of tr cheating, but it needs to just have a decent framework around it for the in-person events. Um, there's a whole can of worms there as well. 
there are many, many, many problems to solve around esports. So, so many. I don't. I really don't envy the the team charged with that. As if everywhere you look, there are issues that that require addressing. It's a it's a tough nut to crack, and I think uh, we saw a comment somewhere where you know it was just saying some of the effect of. You know, we try to solve as many issues as we could on on year one, and and I agree with that. Like, I, it's easy for me to criticize Zwift for every single item, um, but at the same time, there is a tremendous number of items that need to be solved. Now, should some of those have been solved before certain events? Yeah, probably, but other ones less so. Um, you know, I think maybe last year's Australia, you know, giving a, a national jersey champ, uh, national um, championship jersey out uh, the first week of January was probably a wee bit premature. Um, on the flip side, I think where they were for the British uh, Cycling Championships in terms of where they were programmatically and process-wise was actually pretty appropriate. Like they had, they learned a lot. And sometimes the only way to learn on these sort of things is to do it by fire. And that whole, you know, series leading up to that over the course of that four or so months was definitely learning by fire. And we saw that with everything from, you know, TV production to uh, process and all that stuff. And those are things they'll continue to learn uh, over time. Uh, it's just a question of when is that right time to start rewarding national championship jerseys again, which I guess it all comes down to the rainbow jersey in my mind. Like that's once you give someone a rainbow jersey, that's a whole different ballgame. And it's only as of today, 10 months away. I mean, that's not, you know, it's not, not a lot of time. I'll call a halt here because I think we could discuss this forever and I'm sure it's something that we will return to and it's time to plunge back uh, downstairs to the pain cave to hear some more from all the very good, friendly and nice people who came to Ray's open house last night. Oh, I'm Dom, I'm from the UK. And have you come over especially for this one? Yeah, sort of. We wanted to come to Amsterdam anyway and uh, I saw that Ray had posted this online and booked the tickets and then said, uh, do you want to, do you want to go to Amsterdam? <laughs> uh, one, what do you think that Zwift do well? What do you really enjoy about Zwift? And two, what do you think they could do better? Uh, <clears throat> we had a chat about this earlier. Um, so I, I like the gamification of it. I like that it makes, let's be honest, the dullest thing in the world, quite good fun. Um, the training for for which we should be truly thankful. Yeah. Yeah, um, but we were actually having a chat earlier about how it should be a bit more like Mario Kart, where you could, <laughs> where you could get what? What was it? Bananas. Bananas. <laughs> we want more bananas. Throw down some bananas, and you could achieve levels which made you faster than everyone else with the same level of power. Um, and I mean, I guess not in the actual training area, but there should be an area where you could just go and be stupid and have fun. Uh, so one thing I really like about Zwift is. Actually, the variation. Uh, yeah, it's possible to train any way you want. So you can either free ride, you can you do an erg ride, you can do it in the hills, you can do it on the flats, uh, you can do it with a group, you can do it alone. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, the so the variety of options yeah. in scenery it offers. Yeah, you. you can do it on your TT bike. Right. Uh, whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I think that really fits with. Uh, yeah, keep keeping it interesting. Feature I would like. Oh, hooray! Go on. <laughs> so uh, a bit like uh, Strava, uh, you know, you can compare your time, your local hill, yeah, uh, with your friends on Strava. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if Swift did the same? So when when you went through the segments, it didn't give you a, a ranking versus everybody else on that segment. 
you know, 99.9% of the people you don't know. Actually, it'd be fabulous. It gave you a little league table of where you stand in your pantheon of, you know, 10 or 20 friends. Uh, that, that you have on Zwift. So and, basically, uh, you want them to park their tank on Strava's lawn. Yeah, that, 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 that would be fabulous because, uh, yeah, as DC Rainmaker often says, yeah, when did we last see uh, a new Strava feature? do anything interesting. <laughs> yeah, do, yeah, do any new feature. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they deserve to have their lunch eaten at this point in time, I guess. <laughs> Still to come on this episode, a chat with Peter Largo from Elite on whether they have any ambitions to get into the smart bike game and more chats, including the prospects for a new course on Zwift with Shane and Ray. But first, a bit of a departure. We're going to talk to the girl, um, uh, the long-standing name by which Bobby Maker, wife of Ray, has gone on DCR's famous blog, which I'm sure lots and lots of listeners uh, read or uh, or watch. Um, the girl has a new guise. She she is now effectively a partner in Ray's um, online business. Um, and I thought it'd be great to catch up with her and talk to her about the move from Paris to Amsterdam and how she's adapting to her new role um, in relation to Ray and to the business. You were working very, 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 very hard to get this event set up and at the event. How much work goes into it, Bobby? Oh, um, it's hard to count the man hours. So much of it's in your brain. All the to-do lists and uh, post-it notes and you're making to make sure on the night of you, you've got your volunteers and you've got your helpers uh, completing the tasks. But uh, it's definitely a solid three weeks of planning and prep and just making sure every the deliveries came on time and everyone's in place so so for me as as a OCD event planner in my mind last night I'm seeing all the things that I need to make a note of to make better for next year and genuinely most people there are such good spirited it's a free event they're happy so to try to take the stress off and I have to remind myself they're not seeing all the things that are, quote, going wrong. They're just seeing, face, getting to see us face-to-face and, and have a genuine conversation about whether it's life or their newest device. Yeah. Very much so. <coughs> very fo- informal, very friendly, and uh, a lovely event, actually. Um, I want to talk to you about, about the newsletter. I mean, Ray has always been front of house on of DC Rainmaker, of course. You know, DC Rainmaker is Ray. But you, you've been taking a little bit more of a kind of front of house role with with what seems to me to be your very very successful newsletter which goes out by email i think um i mean it obviously previews what's happening on 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 ray's blog but then there's also this personal element where we get to know a little bit more about you and your life in amsterdam hilariously with your misconstruction of netflix and chill on the last newsletter which was very funny um are you really enjoying the newsletter it feels like you do I do. I really do enjoy the newsletter. I think sometimes Ray has to edit it. <laughs> I'm a bit of a chatty Kathy, and he tells me it's too long sometimes. Um, but it's. I think it's nice. The the in my mind, the purpose of the newsletter was as the Ray can, as the blog continued to get bigger and bigger and more technical. I personally felt that people were losing touch with with Ray and and with the girl because um, the blog 
started as just a, a personal blog about our training, our relationship, and as most people remind us, the food. We used to cook yeah, all yeah. Ab- extravagant meals and barbecues. And so when we were just talking about what to do next with the, with the blog and how to grow it and how to keep people happy and keep people connected, the newsletter is not supposed to be spammy. It's not, you know, we're, we don't try to push too much on there. It's just, again, it's a voluntary thing if you want to subscribe to the newsletter. It's probably the people that genuinely want to follow Ray and me and our life a bit more because the blog, I don't want to say has strayed from that, but to be honest, to to make that our full-time business now because Ray left his corporate job for the blog, you had to take a turn on the technical yeah. level. It had to... It had, had to, to be more focused on products, basically. It did. It had to be, and it had to be really quality information and analytical and... And for me, that's so boring. <laughs> it's so boring. So, and I and I think sometimes, you know, Ray was really successful. He got nominated by Runner's World and Outside Magazine did pieces on him. And that's phenomenal. But sometimes I think that that puts him so high on the podium. There's a lot of people that, you know, they... When you're when you're on top, there's always people looking to take a crack at you or, or this or that. And again, the newsletter was to just try to make it personal again and remind people that he is only human. He, you know, he does have to uh, answer to a wife at home. The the to do list that he still hasn't earned. And now three kids. I mean, three, three kids. kids under four, under three, under three and a half. Yeah. So yeah, the newsletter was just to try to re- rein it in a little bit. Remind people Ray is. He's not always the king of the castle. He makes errors. I make errors. And, I mean, we're just like everyone else, just slogging it out to try to enjoy life and make a buck. Well, you know what? It's a great city to try to enjoy life in. I mean, Amsterdam is just a fabulous, fabulous place. Let's let's talk a little bit. Let's kind of continue on that personal thing about how the move from Paris has gone, how much you like in Amsterdam. Um, it's a great place, isn't it? Yeah, you know... To give Paris its due, we moved there as two young professionals with, you know, the world ahead of us. And Paris is a phenomenal city. But as you, we were there for almost five and a half years. As you start adding littles to the, to the, to the gang, um, it just became a lot harder to manage and manage. You know, I was carrying a kid in a pack and carrying a stroller up and down the metro stations and had a dog and... uh, is very cycling friendly but almost on a professional level like professionals would hop on the bike and get to work you didn't see a lot of kids on bikes and ray and i as little like getaways every now and then would just hop on the train and come to amsterdam and there was something about amsterdam that it just let me take a deep breath and we weren't ready to go back to north america yet but i i would i'll take the the blame in terms of i think i was probably the one that said enough is enough of Paris because I as the mom just couldn't keep managing everything in the city center and outside of Paris isn't necessarily where all the families live um I just needed a change I needed something fresh and every time we came to Amsterdam it was almost like people were mocking you they were so friendly (laughs) and I don't know if we just is you know Paris cannot be a lot like New York sometimes in terms of just being busy and aggressive and go 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 and you kind of build a bit of a shell, a hard shell from that. And you came to Amsterdam, and 
I don't know if it was because people could also um, feel very confident, confident and comfortable speaking in English that you just got better customer service and more help. And uh, yeah, we just really feel at home here. And I mean, I dislike national stereotypes, but the Dutch are so laid back. I, like I said, honestly, there are times that when we first moved here and I had to call the cable company and the gas company and the water company and get registered with the city, I would hang up the phone sometimes and look at Ray like, I feel like they're mocking me because they're so friendly. I don't know if it's a joke. Um, so it's been it's been a really refreshing change. Like I said, we weren't ready to leave Europe yet. And I have to give a shout out to Urban Arrow because that bike... That cargo bike, if you follow Ray on Instagram or me on Instagram, that is our minivan. I think, I have to say, part of my, and this is not a paid endorsement or anything crazy like that, just that bike has given me my freedom back. That is like if you're a mom in North America with a big SUV, that is the equivalent of how I get all three kids, a dog, and groceries around. It's amazing. So The, the cycling culture here is just... It just fills your your heart with joy, doesn't it, really? I mean, my, my daughter now actually lives in, in the Netherlands, just, just down the road in Utrecht, and uh, she, like everybody who comes to live in the Netherlands, now rides a bike. Of course she does. I mean, you, that's just what you do. And I said to her, well, you know, what do they do when, when it rains? And she said, well, they just put umbrellas up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, like, the level of cycling or, or I don't know, um, bike handling skills to see even kids like that look four or five cycling along in traffic and usually just see like a little kid next to a dad or a mom who have their hand on the little one's back and they're just teaching them how to navigate appropriately. And that's that's something to keep in mind here is that in the education system, in the school system, there is an expectation that children understand and respect the laws and the rules of the road because they hold the vehicles, the car, the drivers, extraordinarily responsible. They are the, if there's an accident between a car and a bike, it's the driver's fault. It really, it, you have, it would have to be an extreme circumstance for the driver to be given a break and the blame to be put on the cyclist. But that is a national expectation to respect the rules of the road as a cyclist and as a driver. And they're teaching these children from such a young age how to just bike responsibly and and it's so refreshing to i mean that whole thing you see i think that is a civilizing influence on the rest of life actually yeah. this, this this prevalence of bikes and the tolerance and the understanding between bikes and drivers you don't hear angry horns blaring you know you don't see people shouting at each other it is just it's it's such a civilizing thing yeah, that's exactly right. And then when the odd occasion happens that we are in a car, it it's also quite civilized because if a, if a bike pops out or even another car pops out and cuts someone off, it's very much like, oh, yeah, okay, get going. Like, if you're going to cut me off, like, get on the gas and, and get moving. And there's not a lot of anger versus, again, on the odd occasion, we end up back in New York or something. No offense to anyone from New York listening, but they know getting in a yellow cab in, in New York is like... Really, it's, like a war zone. it's risking your life. I mean, I it's just it's like a roller coaster ride of breaks and go and cutting people off. And I don't know, I think it's yeah, like you said, the civilized nature of of the Netherlands to just let's just take it down a notch and we'll all get to where we're going if we all alive and happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's maybe 
20 seconds just, slower than you would have just done. take a yeah. deep breath yeah. and and enjoy that you're outside on a bike and yeah. and sometimes it is raining and you put on your poncho and your plastic pants and you learn to bike with one hand holding an umbrella and the other one it's it really is it's been like i said just so refreshing the move back to business um the blog is obviously goes from strength to strength and you're a part of the business now aren't you yeah, when we moved to the Netherlands, um, like I said, I was a little bit burnt out from Paris. I used to have my own business over there. Um, it was catering. And with Ray, he had recently stepped down from his corporate job and we're trying to blow up the blog so we can actually, you know, live off of it. Um, with catering, it's always a weekend gig. So he would work crazy all week long and then the weekend would come and I'm running around doing things for my business and then there's the kids. So we went we just had a big heart to heart of how can we work together in a business also parent together also probably train together oh and you're trying to maintain a relationship how do we do that without burning out and not not liking each other by the end of the day how does ray realistically be my boss treat me as a professional and then change hats when we get home and it's your wife <laughs> so sounds tricky <laughs> you know it's we've been navigating the waters i think we're Above all, we try to keep that in mind, and sometimes I have to remind Ray. Um, sometimes when it's convenient to him, I'm either treated as the wife or treated as the employee is, but I can put him in his place from time to time. But, yeah, it's it's nice because I'm here at the blog, and I do write the newsletter, um, and I do give him an extraordinarily difficult time about how fast he speaks on YouTube. Um, but for the most part, I'm doing things that we get our space. Like no one here, everyone always asks me for my thoughts on the latest tech thing. And I'm thinking. Not, 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 not your wheelhouse. It's not, it's not your job, is it's it? It's not. I, I cannot speak knowledgeably about the products the way that Ray can, the way that his readers and followers are looking for the information. So I don't want to say something that someone's then going to correct me on. And it's just not, it's not what I enjoy. So I love doing the editing. I love, I don't love the accounting, but having run Nobody my... Nobody loves accounting. No one loves accounting, but I did run my own business, so I'm happy to take that off of Ray's plate if that gives us X amount of hours a week back together with the family. Because a lot of times he would work his corporate job all day, he'd be hammering out the blog stuff, and then there'd be a week or three or four days each month that he would just go in the hidey hole, hidey hole and do accounting. So if I can do that and give us some of our life back and our family time back, then that's the priority. So, It, it looks like it's working. I hope so. I hope that's how it looks. <laughs> I th again, that's part of the newsletter is to remind people that this is still a family biz and there are days that the dog eats your dinner off the, <laughs> off the dinner table and... There are days that you just want to go home and sit on the couch and watch TV and not make any uh, mistakes about what that actually means via Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, th I, think, I think for the moment it's working. I'm not sure. 
what the future holds, though. Well, none of us know that. Uh, well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Anybody who doesn't subscribe to the newsletter, do so immediately, because it's, it's always a really good read, <clears throat> not only if you're interested in what Ray does, but also if you're interested in, in that kind of slightly wider picture that Bobby's talked about so, so nicely uh, today. Lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. It's great. I, I like to be able to talk to Ray's people and have them hear the other side of the, the family. Very important. Well, I'm here with Peter. Peter, is it Lego or Largo? Do you know I never ever can remember. Well, if I was the owner of Lego, I would tell you Lego, but it's Lago. <laughs> in Italian, it's Lago, Lago. You know what Lago means in Italian? Lake. Lake. Lago di Garda, Lago di Como. So I kind of own all the lakes in Italy. Okay. <laughs> I wish. Okay, so <laughs> I think you might, listeners, dear listeners, be getting the impression that I'm speaking to somebody involved in an Italian company in the indoor trading business, and uh, that company, of course, is Elite. Uh, Peter, I meant to talk to you at Eurobike, but tragically, disastrously, I lost my voice. Um, so so this, is, this is the kind of Eurobike interview that, that should have happened and never did. Um, don't give me a big list of trainers, but what's exciting, new and fresh from Elite? Uh, this year we've got uh, three new trainers, or two and a half new trainers. It's a list of trainers, Peter. A list of trainers, buddy, yeah. So we didn't get into the, for the moment, smart bike business, but we, we've added uh, trainers to the line. We've added some trainers that have added value, in my opinion, to, for the consumers. Uh, starting from the Suido, where we're targeting more your newcomers to the world of Zwift or other softwares out there. Uh, open the box, it's all there. It's the trainer, it's the cassette. It's, it's the Zwift card, uh, to talk about Zwift specifically. It's all in one package. Sounds simple, because it is simple. And that's what you know, people are telling us, make it simple. So out of the box, it's all ready to go. And is that doing well? Is that, do you think there's a demand for that? I mean, we're here at probably the foremost meeting of, of bike and tech geeks in Europe, but you're talking about simplicity. Do you think there's a big demand for simplicity? I think there's a demand for a certain clientele. So we've had five years ago, the early adopters, let's talk about Swift now, early adopters that got on board and wanted the, the greatest and the best regardless of the price. Second tier people said, I want the greatest, but I have a certain budget. Now it's like, oh my God, what is this thing? Zwift, people are talking about it. I never had a turbo trainer before. Right. It's, 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 it's something I need, I want, but don't make it complicated. Don't tell me to go and buy a trainer and then go and get a cassette, if it's a direct drive. Go and get a tool to assemble it and, and go and purchase the coupon online. You're making my life difficult. Make it simple. I want simplicity. And for me, Suido is simplicity. And do you think that's a consequence of this huge advertising blitz we saw from Zwift around the Grand Tours this summer. I mean, do you think there is this new Breed. segment of Zwifters who crave simplicity because they're not like you and me, they're not the early adopters? Absolutely, I agree so. They're, 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 they're increasing the platform, they're increasing the cake, they're increasing the community, which is all good. And uh, we're trying to cater that new segment with a certain product, which is the Suido. Is it selling well? Selling very well. Uh, I won't hide that we've had some growing pains, uh, but we've, we, team's working on it. We've settled uh, what those few little issues were, and now it's honestly a question of just making enough uh, to, to cope with the demand. 
Well, let's talk about the, the top end of the market. Or Well, yeah, it is the top end of the market. I mean, these, these are expensive machines. And, well, you, <laughs> you have the, the most expensive one in that crazy billionaires mm. on my yacht one. But let's talk reality. You don't yet have a smart bike. Um, why not? Why not? Because we've made some choices. Making a smart bike or making any product takes time. It doesn't take six, 12 months. It takes way more than that. Uh, two years ago, we made some choices. We did do the 4E Pista, which is uh, live on board, ready to go this month or in 48 hours when it's the month of December. We came from left field with that, but we preferred to cater when we decided 18, 24 months ago to go for the mass product, so go with the Suido, go with the uh, improved Toretto with the Toretto X, and go with a new wheel-on trainer called the 2 We're a family company, we had to make choices, that's the choice we made, right or wrong. Regardless of that, it doesn't mean that we're not gonna get into the more commercial price point smart bike business. When you say it doesn't mean that we're not, you must be working on a smart yes. bike. Yes, we are. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. <laughs> so today it's for Pista. Tomorrow can be whatever. Okay. And how far out that might that be? Sometime in the future. <laughs> I'm not going to compromise myself with it. That's team. very non-committal. But okay. Well, in that case, Elite as a company must have taken the decision that this is the way the market is heading. Not the whole market, but a part of the market is heading in that direction. Do, do you agree with that? Yes, I'd love to have everything. I'm part of the sales team, so I'd love to have one and, bo and the other, both. But I, I strongly believe we made the right choice when we made that choice. Uh, simply because the numbers, the mass numbers are, are still for me in the classic the entry level trainer. So direct drive, wheel on, whatever you want to talk about, but in the trainers. But moving forward, we see other brands, mainly all brands, having a commercial price point, smart bike, and that's where we need to be. Have you ridden the other two? Uh, you know, the very, very, I have, I have. We've, we've got them at home, but I haven't had the chance. This is my business schedule, but uh, I had some go at it. A few moments. Good, good products, all good products. Do, 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 I mean, do you think this is genuinely going to be a new product category? I mean, you know, these are 3,000 euro, 3,000 dollar plus product. Uh, where, where they are now, uh, they're going to sell. They are selling. Uh, I believe it's very restricted to the price. Uh, there's not a monitor included in any of these packages, which for me is kind of a barrier. I think price has to come down. A monitor has to be included. It has to be a full package but full package means also a monitor, and inside that monitor or whatever, there's the software or softwares I want to ride while I'm on the bike. Great to get some insight. I think we can pretty much assume that Elite are working on a smart bike. I mean, a lot of people would be surprised if you were, to be honest. Um, where we are now, DC Rainmakers, open house, very social, very informal, very relaxed. Don't you go to enough trade shows, Peter? Yeah, I do, but for me, trade shows are dying. The purpose of trade shows are kind of becoming uh, obsolete, and I find much more productive uh, open houses like this, like Ray's open house, or, or I prefer like a sea otter where I have contact with the consumers. Right. I have contact with other business uh, players. I have contact with the competition. I have contact with 
everyone I need to contact with. And, so, and the informal nature of it is, is, I mean, trade shows are just sales fests, aren't they? Absolutely, but by the time we get Eurobike, by the time we got the Taipei show, Interbike obviously is already dead. The game's already done. Everything's already been settled. Everything's already been defined. So it's more of a PR showing each other's faces and and shaking hands and maybe pick up some some intel from regarding the competition. But honestly, the value. I've been doing this for 30 years. The value of trade shows 30 years ago isn't what it is today. So what do you get out of a, a gathering like this? I've spoken with Germans, I've spoken with Dutch, I've spoken with people, consumers, that tell me what they think about our brand, what they think about the competition. I talked with uh, the guy from Tax. It's, it's, it's a gathering where people are comfortable to exchange ideas, opinions, and, and be blunt about our product, if it works or not, and uh, openly talk with competition and, and, get it, and have a great time. Well, it's, it's, I must say, it's great to see you at something that is is pitched this level, which is, like you say, it, these are the people that use your products. It's great to see you here. Absolutely, and they're making an effort to come here. The boys from Frankfurt took a four-hour drive to come here. I'm sure they'll, they'll enjoy Amsterdam tonight or tomorrow, but they're back home tomorrow, another four hours, so eight hours to come and see DC Rainmakers Open House. They won't do, they won't do that. I asked them, would you do that for a trade show or like Europe? I know, that's why I just... You know, all, uh, this is where we get all the intel, all the information, and it's fun. Always great to talk to you, Peter. I'm sorry I missed you at Eurobike. I hope, uh, hope this has been sufficient compensation. Absolutely, and I'm happy to hear that your knee's fine now. Thanks, mate. Nice Cheers. to talk to you. Back upstairs with Ray and Shane in the uh, in the calm um, of the, uh, the the morning after the night before. Uh, still a lot of clearing up to do downstairs, so I can't keep these two guys much longer. Um, Shane, I think we might be back into the good old days, if you remember the good old days of the Zwiftcast seeming to prompt an update from Zwift, and we would publish a Zwiftcast, and then there'd be a massive update drop. Um, I think that might be about to happen on this episode, actually, but it's about time we got an episode out, so get an episode out, we will. But we do know that a new map is coming, Crit City, a short crit course. Um, Eric Min talked about it during his Thanksgiving Day ride. It's definitely aimed at the esports crowd, We did so we'd left that subject, but here we are back with it again. Um, your reaction to what we think we know about it so far? Uh, I was on the Thanksgiving ride with Eric and 3,000 others, I think. It was yep, pretty, nearly, pretty, nearly pretty busy there. Um, so Crit City, it was like eSports focused. So obviously Criterium, it's going to be a shorter track. Um, I'm guessing it's probably not going to have a lot of hill climbs or anything like that. So I don't know. We've wanted a velodrome. Depends how short this thing is. Is it, It's going to be a Criterium and not a Kermis. So the Criterium is only going to be about, what, a less than a kilometre in length. Um, we don't know any further details than that. I've heard round about two and a half kilometres. Two and a half kilometres. Oh, that, that's Kermis almost Kermis that. level, I think, yeah. isn't it? Oh, we'll yeah. have to get the traditionalists to correct us on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to be Kermis City. Um it should be interesting. I'm not sure whether they'll roll out. Do we see any indication of steering on this course at the same time? Because with crits, it's all about handling bikes. Yeah, well, again, Eric kind of he, he, he almost hinted that steering might okay. 
okay. be a part of the crit course. It wasn't clear. I, I screenshotted it and I looked at it again and again and it wasn't clear. But he did talk about steering in relation to Crit City. Well, that would make sense because we've done some short races around the Richmond, Richmond short, the little tiny Richmond circuit, which is almost flat. And it's not, look, it's not that exciting. Um, if you're going to have something half the size of that or even a third of the size of that, if it's only two kilometres long, um, you need something to dice it up or spice it up, um, be that with different power-ups maybe, but steering would make sense. I'm just not sure we're there with a steering solution that would work under pressure. Mountain biking at the moment with steering is, it's interesting, it's a bit of fun, um, but it can be a bit skewy. Now, if you're racing and you want to hold a line and your bike starts drifting one way or the other, um, again, there's a lot of work to be done there, might I think. Be, it, might, it might be a bit early to see that implemented. Yeah on this course. Uh, Ray, you're just a bit more outside the Zwift bubble, if I can call it that, than, than Jane and I. Um, so I don't know whether you're aware of this, but Crit City leaked, I'm sure, much to the uh, to the chagrin of the marketing department who like to be able to tell subscribers when a new course is coming, but, but it leaked. Um, and if you uh, dig down a little bit into how it leaked, it leaked because of some basically publicly available code that somebody fairly smart looked at and worked it out. Um, and I'm sure the marketing department was less than thrilled about this. It's very tough to keep secrets these days, isn't it? It is, uh, and it's funny because that exact same thing happened to Garmin just about a week ago, um, with the, you know the code that was in their Android app leaked out, and it had code names or not code names, it actually had real product names for the next uh, year or so's worth of products. Uh, now, not all those products will, will come true. There's things in there that you know people think are going to happen that just won't happen, etc. Old code names or old product names, and um, I think in some ways it's a little bit of like a um, you've unlocked the achievement of people care enough about your platform to start digging. <laughs> into it like that's um like welcome to that that level that you know people are actually digging through the code in your apps and that is also probably a wake-up call uh not just for garmin which is actually ironic because in garmin's case up until literally just then they'd always use code names like things like butterfly and silly names that made no sense to anyone unless you were you know into the, the decoder ring um so it was ironic that they made the switch at the same time someone actually started digging into it uh but the same thing was lift like at some point you have to you have to operate like a big boy. Like that's uh, that's just true for Garmin. Like, you know, the apples of the world are incredibly careful in how they, they do that. And obviously even Apple stuff leaks out little things here and there in, in deep down in code uh, snippets around what might be coming down the road, resolutions, things like that. And there's always this balance between how do you get people on things to test them properly and whatnot. But I think that's probably an indicator that people are already digging to that stuff and that things legitimately shouldn't hit the general public until they're absolutely ready to hit the general public. Like they, everyone has to ask themselves, will someone find this? Will someone with enough time and enough boredom find this detail somewhere deep in code? And if the answer is yes, then they got to find a different way of dealing the development. Uh, and and that, that's a question for you, Shane, with your old IT security hat on. Um, this was too easy, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, with the certain tools, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's all there. Um, if it's publicly accessible, it's going to be, you have to assume it's being accessed. Simple as that. Um, and now people not make a, I guess probably make a living out of actually disclosing this information. Um, it, it's hits, it's clicks, it's good clickbait. If you can be the first to drop that information, that's, that's food on the table for some people. Yeah, for sure. 
data is money. Uh, and I said we'd leave esports, but we keep being drawn back to it like a magnet because another story that broke that was of great interest to, to I'm sure, Zwift. This week, uh, uh, data-related, and this is the pro cyclists, one of the organisations that represents pro cyclists, have said, to some degree unsurprisingly, hey, this is our data, our watts and our heart rate, that's our data, we, that belongs to us. And if you want to use that to make a new discipline of sport working uh, work and, and profitable and monetize it, then you need to be talking to us about whether we're happy for, for, for you to use our data. They've got a point on there, eh? They do. I think there's there's definitely some points there. I think there's almost two different levels of points. One being, um, is there a, a privacy side of it? And then from more of a commercial monetization side of it. Like there's always been a challenge within the pro cycling realm of how to properly monetize things that is a, um, a sustainable business for all the players involved, not just for the UCI or not just for, um, you know, sponsors for teams, or not just for the riders, but looking at that ahead of, you know, down the next few years, how does that operate within the Zwift world or with any sort of, you know, esports world? Uh, and I think that's a valid question, especially when the main trigger for that is power and heart rate. Like without those two things as my primarily power, then that entire thing just falls apart. Um, on the flip side, it's also a, a barrier to entry, so to speak. In other words, that uh, I would say, like from Zwift's perspective, they look at that and say, "Yeah, we'll put some safeguards in place." But at the end of the day, either you can compete or not compete. Like that's the 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 minimum bar to compete is your power data. Um, and I think there's something to be said about the cycling, uh, not industry, but cycling as a sport, having a long and uh, never-ending cheating you know, um, mantra. And I think there could be some benefit to having uh, those checks and balances put in place a little more closely than there is today. You know, if you look at like the tour, for example, no one's doing a checks and balance on people's power and watts a kilogram to actually validate that those numbers are attainable. Certainly people on the internet do, people on Reddit do, they do that, they do the math backwards and they figure out, and there are obviously, you can go down rabbit holes forever on climbs that were uh, superhuman without you know doping over the past couple of decades. Um, now that that data is seen in apps like Zwift, then that makes it much more difficult to cheat. Not impossible as we of course saw, but uh, it makes it that avenue more difficult. Sunlight is definitely the best disinfectant in, 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 in that respect. Um, it might be a bit controversial, this, but I've actually got some sympathy with the riders here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not talking about the top riders who earn millions of euros a year, but they're the, the kind of second-tier pro riders. A lot of people think, well, they're just riding their bike all day long, you know, it must be fun. Actually, it's hard graft, you know. It's a very, very hard way to make a living. And riders historically have not had a great deal of leverage, either within the team or certainly within the sport at the higher levels. Might this just kind of tip the balance a bit back in the in the riders' favour for having the data hidden? Or well, no, no, no. In, in that the, they've now got some control over 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 their 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 athleticism in, in its manifestation as data. They're saying it's my data, and if you want to use it, you're going to have to pay me. I guess is what it comes down to. Oh, that's I mean, it's a bit like footballers and image rights, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, but it's only data, and there's nothing really to hide, as Ray said. Like, it's 
people will diagnose or go back and uh, deduce what you've done anyway over a climb and how much you weigh and what bike you have. There's nothing much. But it's hold. different in esports because, as Ray said, without that power number, they they haven't got they haven't got a sport. But then, without seeing the number, there's no legitimacy to what we're seeing. We don't know whether someone's pedaling a bike or using a drill or using a. a, a this is a really difficult one. And again, another rabbit hole of esports. My question is around why is it just the pro cyclists who get to choose their data? What about me? I'm a general user and I should have just the same amount of rights as a Well, rider. we had this discussion last night, didn't we? And neither of us know, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But in agreeing to the COS, have we actually, have we given our data to... Zwift? And our firstborn, I think. And any <laughs> trainer that we buy, I think it's property of uh, somebody else now. Uh yeah, this is. there's just too many unknowns around this. But what I don't want to see is riders just put their foot down just because they can. Um, because if they don't have any say in anything else, like, right, this is my data. I want to. I want control over this. But for what? what what's that going to actually do? Um, for me as a time trust, I used to hide my power data because my power wasn't that great. My trick was in being aerodynamic until everyone else found that out and got a lot faster than what I did. So... I guess that still happens at the pro level. If you were like world champion and had your power numbers and your your data you could go through, but at an esports level, are we quite there yet of that kind of information disclosure? But well, I think too, there's there's a reality there that Zwift has enough money to uh, pay off effectively the people they want to compete in their platform, and those that want to compete against them for more visibility, for more anything else are going to have to go along with those rules. Like it's one of those, you know, people can put down their foot, but by and large, the people competing on Zwift today are not household names. Um, they are, you know, I don't want to say second tier, even third tier, but they're actually in the but grand... they're not beats again. No, they're in, they're in the grand scheme of the cycling pro peloton. The people in the Zwift, um, you know, major events today are numerous levels down, mm -hmm. right? And so they, they don't really have the leverage to do that. Now, could a, a Peter Sagan have that leverage? Of course he could. But Zwift is also going to put a lot of money in front of him and say, hey, do you want to do this event or not? And just like any other commercial relationship, just like any other sponsorship, um, that's going to, money's going to win. So I think it's a, it's a really tough thing. I think there should be stuff in place to protect people's data. I'm not sure your power data is necessarily the right thing to protect in a game that's designed around power data. So of, of the long list of problems that eSports division of Swift has got to solve, you think this one is probably more easily solvable than some of the others? Yeah, I mean, I think in my mind, just thinking a bit, a bit more, us protecting power data is no different than trying to protect a, you know, a baseball player's home runs or strikes or anything else. Like, it's still it's still physio data. It's you know how many strikes do you throw, how many balls do you throw, how many hits do you have. That's your body doing those actions and you know something coming. And that's the same thing in cycling. It's just it's my legs as opposed to my arms. And so, arguably, we should know it already. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, to validate that we're not seeing superhuman performances or tra you know, track trends over time. It's like, hang on, somebody came back from a camp overseas somewhere where they didn't have any testing for a while. And wow, look at their numbers now. How about that? And I'm seeing, I think we're seeing that with the biological passport, aren't we, as well? That's what the plan is with that. Mm. But it, it's ad hoc. I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, if every rider who ever did a training ride had to put it on Strava with the power meter data, then maybe that would be useful for everybody to see. Mm. It could be, could be valuable, at least for, for those that are competing on that, on that data. Okay, well, uh, listen, I know there's a great many empty beer bottles need tidying up downstairs, and I hear two peanuts growing increasingly restive, wondering where, they're, <laughs> wondering where their father is, I think. Um, so let's, let's wrap this one up, but I just want to wrap it up with one final subject. Um, and 
I was going to frame this as a as a bit of a confession uh, because a couple of people have spotted my rides on Strava, but I, actually it's not a confession. But it, it's probably important that I I talk about it because uh, people do follow me on Strava and it's a, a very different thing I've done. I bought I've bought an e gravel bike. Okay. Hang on, how many keywords right there? there you got e gravel bike. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 clickbait right there. Uh, well, okay. So I bought an e bike. Okay, it just so happens to be a bike that's gravel specific. It is a revelation to me. I have never ever had so much fun on a bike since I first got on a bike. It's just the most enormous fun, and I, I, I'm I don't want to become too evangelical about this but it would be good just to kind of scotch maybe a few of the myths about about e-biking i don't think i'd ever do it on the road i don't think i'd ever do it on the road i love my light road bike too much i love that feeling of nearly dying at the top of a climb when you've shaved 10 seconds off your pb i love all of that too much but there's something about just confining it to off-road that makes that kind of legitimizes it for me, even if it doesn't need legitimizing, if you know what I mean. But it's such enormous, enormous fun. It's not a free ride. Ray, I know you've got an incredibly heavy cargo bike, which you uh, transport lots of heavy things around in around Amsterdam, and that that actually has the same kind of pedal assist yep. e-motor that's on my e-gravel bike. Um, where where do you stand in the kind of pantheon of oh my god it's cheating and against the whole spirit of bicycling to it's a fantastic modern innovation which only enables greater access to cycling for more people where do you stand on that one pretty firmly in the let's get more people on bikes I think it's you know uh, and especially more I think living in Europe here than in North America and I think here like we don't own a car this this cargo bike is our car it's our minivan and you know I just uh, coming down here the kids were in there and you know going home three kids will be in there like it's all that's just that's our car it's how we get around and uh, my wife probably on Monday or Tuesday will go and buy an e-city bike if you will as well um, and because like for us if we want to go out to the beaches which is uh, you know roughly an hour and 10 minutes give or take on a road bike at you know road bike speeds uh, it's a long haul with kids and everything else to get out there and then if you want to get back so you're talking roughly two and a half hours of, of pedaling before you apply what could be you know the typical Dutch winds or anything else and like there's a reality too if you've got screaming kids and whatnot and the winds are tough how much do you want to do that do you eventually say you know what we're not gonna do that you know what we're gonna rent a car or something like that so for us to be able to kind of keep in that bike realm it's the e-assist is super helpful for her as well to be able to keep up with me with the cargo bike with everything else the same same thing and even going off-road like I've gone a few times and done some e-mountain biking at different events that I've gone to, uh, and it's a blast. Like just, it's such fun. It's so much fun, and I think it's not a motorcycle. People say that it's motorcycle have never done it, and so don't even start there. It's it's not a motorcycle. Go and try it and, and realize it and go, this is a blast. This is this is having fun again. It's not exactly. it, it's not just out there to die for the sake of dying. And don't get me wrong, I love going out there and like you said, getting to the top of a climb and having that reward benefit of oh, I did this, I did this work, I got there in the same way that you might do a hard indoor trainer workout. And is a hard indoor trainer workout fun? Probably not during that particular portion of it. 
But that's all right. In the same way that you might go for a group hour with a bunch of buddies and have a blast on that. There are different things for different scenarios. It doesn't always have to be like, you know, go and, and pedal till you die. And then it's just, it's a different. So it's, I, I'm all aboard getting more people on bikes um, within the confines of how e-bikes are largely defined today. I think if you're talking an e-bike that goes 60 kilometers an hour or something crazy, that's, that's different. But I think, you know, most of the ones here are limited to certain specs and things like that. And so I'm, I'm all down for that. Shane, you 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 have tried one, haven't you? Not not on a road bike, but I think you've tried a e, e mountain bike. Have you tried or? We had some. Right, what were they called? They were we were at <laughs> now, now we were in Sondrio, northern Italy. Yeah. Uh, myself, uh, Ray, DC Romanco, and Des from Desfit, and we were at a hotel. We wanted to go for a ride. Didn't have any bikes, but the hotel had these. Oh, honky big ass e hybridy type thing. They were heavy, and the hills around there were steep. We're not talking. You could go a lot right along the river, but no, we wanted a little bit of you know, hill work and see some views. We got on these e bikes, and it opened up the city like we wouldn't be able to ride around on our road bikes. And we had a heap of fun. We put some croissants in the back and rode around, had our croissants, and we found some paths we would have never have found had we been on normal bikes or in a car. Or it, it was brilliant fun. So in the context of that absolutely loved it for me though i'm as a pure roadie i look back and going are these going to ruin fondos like when they e yeah. sort of road bikes e-bikes in general are they going to ruin strava comms now strava themselves will nullify like there's no segments for e-bikes but are people going to miscategorize their bike by just putting a garmin or a wahoo on the front of their e-bike and just getting all the comms that could ruin it a bit there so the traditionalist in me who fought really hard for all the comms and things <laughs> um it's like oh is that going to die off but things change um but as for exploring seeing more of what you haven't seen before, I've got a gravel bike the other week. It's not an e-bike, but there's a million more roads for me to go and ride on and no cars, which is kind of a bit of a stress relief too. You can just ride and enjoy riding. I mean, I wanted to put some rules around it. I don't know why. I suppose it's that kind of roady masochism thing. I did want to put some rules around it. My rules were I would only ever go off-road on it. Mm -hmm. I would never go up the local climb that I've still yet to crack in 30 minutes. I've done it in 31.10 and 30.25, but I've never done it in 30. I would never go up that on my e-bike and get under 30 and feel happy with myself. I, I just wouldn't. It, that doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. But I think confining it to off-road, just, I don't know, it puts a sort of little sanitation zone round it for me, if you know what I mean. It's a weird thing. Now, we're talking before about it because you said you had a TSS of 180 on one of your rides. And I said, well, where was the power measured on that? But measuring the power in the right place, you're still going to be able to measure effort. So you said you were running the Asioma pedals, which measured the power that you're doing. So the e-assist is further down the drivetrain. That just makes me go faster. I'm I'm still doing 200 watts. It's still there, exactly. And they're true efforts. Whereas when we start talking about putting e-bikes on trainers and things like that, yeah, another grey area of can of worms for e-sports. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I, think we, I think we've given eSports a hard enough time on this episode. Thanks so much, uh, Ray, for making time. I know you've got a ton of stuff to do after, after, clear, after a big event yesterday. Just very quickly, um, what's, the, what's the big, big, big thing coming up on, uh, on DC Raymaker, the next big thing? Uh, it's, it's just a little bit of catch-up time, I think. It's catching up on, on a handful of things that come out this past fall, mostly wearables and whatnot. I think we're getting through a, a last few indoor trainers that were sort of behind the curve on getting ready this year, uh, be out over the next couple of weeks and whatnot. But uh, mostly catch-up, and then we'll start the new year fresh. Yeah. Shane, next video? 
I'm looking forward to one Ray's going to do actually in a few days time. We had some technology that had all, well, the three of us out on the bike, our jaws were dropped mm. at what this technology was and what it did. Unbelievable. Um, it's one of these, okay, you'll have my money straight away kind of things. Okay. Um, so okay. can, can you be any more specific? It was a camera of some type that happened to have a brain of its own that looked like a little puppy following us. You've got to, it blew me away. So for nothing about my stuff. Look at Ray's video on that when it comes out. Brilliant stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing tethered drone here, which, oh, which yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing tethered drone. But uh, excellent. Well, listen, thank you both very much indeed for making time. I know it's a busy day today after, after a busy event yesterday, uh, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Thanks for the invite. Uh, and uh, I hope to see you for the next one, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for making it over. And uh, definitely we'll come out in the, the summer open house. It's a little bit warmer, a little bit less uh, chilly. So it's, it's a good time. Uh, and next time I see you, who knows when next time I see you. It's great to see you in the flesh. Thanks very much for this. And um, we will no doubt talk again soon. Absolutely good to be in person here, Simon. It's much better than 17,000 k's away. And that's it for this special episode from DC Rainmakers Open House event in Amsterdam. I hope very much you enjoyed listening to it. Just the usual bit of housekeeping. We're very grateful to the support we get from Swift for the podcast, but Swift do not influence any of its content. We decide what goes in it, not Swift. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.